come before you this morning. We ask, Lord, that you take each part of this service that we've dedicated to your worship. And, Lord, that you would enable us to do that. Lord, it's impossible for a sinful man to worship a holy God. Yet, Lord, this is what you've called us to do, and it's the highest attainment to which we can possibly reach. Lord, we ask that you would work in the hearts of each one here that has been saved, that's been born again the Bible way, that today we would worship you in our spirit and in truth. And Lord, we pray for those who have not yet trusted you as their personal Savior, that today would be at least one step closer, if not the moment leading up to the moment where they would trust you as their Savior. We ask you to do your work in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 4. How many of you saw the picture on the bulletin today? And uh, it talks about giving, and uh, we wanted to, I wanted to make sure that people understood uh, what what the Bible means when it talks about giving. So oftentimes, when we hear about giving, it is, um, well, probably the most outrageous example. How many remember uh, Jimmy and Tammy uh, Bay Faker? How many, I mean, I'm Baker, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, how many of you remember those people in the mascara dripping on the floor? And if you don't give, we won't have money to run our amusement park and, and all of these things. And, you know, the devil has perverted each and everything that God has given us to worship him with. And I made an amazing discovery in preparing for this message um, one of the rules in understanding your Bible, if you really want to understand a word now, uh, as if you're around here very often, you know I believe in the use of dictionaries. Uh, the church just bought me one. It's only 20 volumes plus the appendixes. And so I, I believe in dictionaries. But if you really want to understand a word... A book that you ought to have is Strong's Concordance. How many have one of those? And follow the word through the scriptures. See how God uses that word under the influence of the Holy Spirit through the personalities of individuals all the way from Genesis to Revelation and and I, I just did a quick count. I just typed in the word give and hit the search thing on my computer Bible program. 1,488 times the word give uh, was recorded. And I don't believe that that's quite exhaustive. I think if, if uh, that's only counting the word give. That's not giving in all the other uh, different forms of that word. So we're going to be here a while this morning. No. Uh, there is no way we could cover 1,488 references, let alone all the other times giving is talked about in the Bible. But 
there is this little rule, something that you need to learn is if you really want to understand a word, find the first place that God uses it. And the reason why we're going to Matthew chapter 4 is this is the first time in the New Testament the word give is used, and it's used twice in a row here. How many know the story in Matthew chapter 4, verses starting in verse 1? It is the devil tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how in the world are you going to preach about giving out of that passage without destroying the text? Well, uh, we will be very careful with the text. We're not trying to get the Bible to say things it doesn't say. But what we are trying to do is learn something about this word called giving. And I'm kind of, well, not kind of, I'm going to teach from the negative, things that were, are not attitudes or things that do not belong in our giving, the devil is the master of perversion. And of course, our Sunday school lesson was on Sodom and Gomorrah. But let me tell you something, the greatest perversion that the devil offers today is not in the abhorrent lifestyles and self-destructive tendencies of human beings. It's not in the alleys where they're wrapping rubber bands around their arms so they can try to find a vein to get one more shot of drugs into their system to keep going through another day, to keep the stupor uh, continuing. That's not the greatest perversion. The greatest perversions that the devil offers are the ones that look good to everybody. Are the ones that we put the stamp of approval and say, hey, this is okay for a Christian to be involved in when it's exactly the opposite of what God intended for us to be. My dear friend, those are the greatest of all perversions. And when we look at this story of the devil tempting Jesus, people want to ask all kinds of silly questions like, Jesus is God, right? Yes, Jesus is God. The Bible teaches. Jesus said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is God. Therefore, God can't be tempted and God can't sin. So this, this passage is just kind of ludicrous, right? Wrong. And then the other extreme is, well, Jesus was a man. There's a possibility he could have sinned here. And all the world would have been lost. Could I just say something? I know this is kind of crude for a preacher to say, but stupid comes in a lot of different packages. Do not allow yourself to swing with the pendulums of man's thought. Because you'll get crushed between the pendulum and the clock case somewhere in there. Don't, don't do that. The simple truth was, the devil believed 
that he was really tempting Jesus to do evil. You can't dispute that in this passage. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted. But the simple resolution is, Jesus as God could not sin. Jesus as man had the ability to fall. And if we will get close enough to Jesus, it'll protect us from the tempter. But that's not the subject of this morning. I want us just to look through this, and let's just read through the passage here. We're going to start in verse 1. Read through verse 11. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. There was a purpose in this right from the beginning. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Uh, Okay, we'll keep going. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thy down, thyself down, for it is written... He shall what? Give. There's the first word, the time that the word give is used in your New Testament. He shall, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, that they, uh, sorry, charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. Second use of the word give. If thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written... Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now this is the story of the devil tempting the Lord Jesus. Now that first temptation doesn't use the word give, but the idea is in there. The Bible says that Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. That simply means he had not eaten regular food for this time period. It says he was hungered. If you've ever been without food for three or four or five days, there comes a point where your body stops being hungry. What it means here was that Jesus was in desperate need to begin to nourish his body or things were going to happen that would not be that would be irreversible there would be damage uh, science, uh, doctors and things have examined this and they said it's very possible for the human body to do without food for a period of time as long as you hydrate yourself properly and all of this but you 
This would be the absolute limit of human endurance unless you're in some type of disease situation or being fed intravenously or something like this. And the first temptation was simply, Jesus, you know, I know, you have got to do something now about this food thing. You're out in the wilderness. 7-Eleven hadn't been invented yet. That's a good thing, amen. Uh, the New York deli wasn't there. I mean, there's just nothing around. The wilderness meant a place where no one lived. There was no ability to get food, period. And the devil says, Give yourself something to eat. Command these stones be made bread. Now, could Jesus make stones into bread? Well, he made bread out of nothing, didn't he? I may remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000. He had a few small soda crackers and a couple of fish, and and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. There was certainly within the power of Jesus Christ the ability to take a stone and make some bread out of it Uh, There certainly was a desperate need for him to fortify himself with some type of nourishment because when we willfully destroy the body God has given us, are we not committing against a sin against the God who gave us that body? We need to be careful about those things. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was without sin, that he did not break God's commandments. But I want to just interject a word here, and it's in Jesus' answer to the devil. Verse 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here's just a word, and it's not a biblical word, but it's a word that will, I believe will help us focus on the issue that is being dealt with here. And the word is priority. That is the order in which things are done. The devil said, Jesus, give yourself something to eat. It is time you must Do something about this now. Was the devil right? Yes, he was. Absolutely correct. Jesus had reached the limit of physical endurance. He was not going to harm the body that God had given him because he is God. He was only going to do good. By the way, there is not an honest doctor or nutritionists out there that will not tell you that fasting is good for the human body. I mean, it will do things for you that no medicine on earth can do. It will help you in ways that no other thing will do. Fasting is a good thing. Don't go home and say, now Pastor Montoro said to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to stop by the store and buy me five cases of water and I'm going to make it. No, you probably won't. Uh, Try one meal first 
and then wait a couple of days and try another one. And by the way, don't get this idea that fasting is going to help you with weight problems because it doesn't. God has built things into your body that when you stop eating, your body starts conserving things. And so when you drink that fruit juice or something to help you, you're just going to get, you're just going to gain weight. Don't, don't play games. What we're talking about here is the priority. Because how many of you have heard? Well, you've got to take care of yourself. You know, God expects you to, to uh, you know, the Bible says provide things honest in the sight of all men. Uh, the Bible says if you're, um, if you're not a real Christian at home, you can't be a real Christian at church. No, the Bible doesn't say that. That's a saying that man made up. But let me tell you something. If you're a real Christian in church, you will be a real Christian at home. Uh, you can't be. You can't not be a real Christian anywhere, any place, and be a real Christian in any other place. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? If you're going to be real, it's going to be everywhere. But you see, Benjamin Franklin probably said it best. God helps those who help themselves. Could I tell you that in this passage, those words are echoing the words of Satan and not the words of Jesus Christ? Are we still together? Are you mad at me yet? I mean, I haven't had a chance to preach for a long time. I'm, I'm ready to go here. But I, I want you to get a hold of this thing because this is the first and greatest perversion that the devil does in our giving and in our attitudes toward our giving toward God is, you know, I got to take care of things and then I'll be obedient to God. Wrong. It's absolutely the opposite. I be obedient to God first, and then I let God take care of things. Amen. By the way, that's how you get saved. Amen. How many times? How many of you remember when you used to go to other types of churches? Some of you went and you would say, listen. We do the best that we can, and God understands. I, I want to challenge you today. God does understand. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. Because he's not going to accept the best you can. Because it's not good enough. He will only accept the best that Jesus did. Because as God, only Jesus could be good enough. Amen? And so when it comes to this idea of giving, I, want, I wish we could paint the picture here. This was an emergency situation, was it not? Forty days without nourishment. 
We are at that critical point. Things had to happen and had to happen now. How many of you have ever been in an emergency? I mean, yesterday, I'm trying to finish up the last few things because we got somewhat of a crisis looming over our head. We're number three on the inspector schedule Monday morning, and he's coming in to look at our baptistry installation, and he's going to be somewhat of a critical eye and want you to pray about that. All the work's been done, approved by our plumber and architect, but the inspector's got to sign off on it. So I'm down there finishing up these last few little things, and of course, nothing ever goes right. Andrew comes down, Dad, 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 emergency, emergency. I said, what's the emergency? The leg on the piano's falling off. And he wasn't kidding either. So I get them, and we go down and get the proper tools and jack the piano up and take the leg off and repair the situation. And it's, it's fixed. Just don't go over and start kicking the legs on the piano. It's something loosened up that needed to be tightened up. That's all there was to it. But how often are our plans and our lives altered because of emergencies that come up? I want us to look at this passage. This is what the devil was trying to do to tempt Jesus. He was making an emergency out of this thing. It was a crisis. Something had to be done. Intervention was needed right now. Let me tell you, the devil was absolutely correct in his surmisal of the circumstances. But he was incorrect in his solution and always is. How many people are going to miss heaven? Now, when you miss heaven, that means you end up in hell. Hell is a real place of real torments in real time forever. And, of course, the question is, how could a God of love create such a place And you can ask all those silly questions if you want. What I'm going to concentrate on this morning is the fact that God made hell non-topical for the human race by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. No one ends up in hell until they choose to reject the truth of this book. You say, how do you know that? The Bible says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. I just believe the Bible. I'm going to trust God and his character more than I am the historian or the theologian, my friend. I'm not going to try to explain it. I'm just going to believe what the Bible says because the priority is God. That's why Jesus answered him, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He said, listen, I'm going to explain something to you. 
The priority is God, not you. The priority is God, not your concern for me. You know, the world is so concerned for you. They're concerned in how you smell. And so you go into the pharmacy and there's a whole shelf of things that will make you smell better. Now, is that their primary concern? I'm not trying to be sarcastic today, but I I think the primary concern of uh, the different corporations that make smell-good products is called profit and dividends and other such things. Uh, How many would agree with me in that assessment? That their first priority is not... Uh, your personal non-offensiveness. Can we just put it there? Their first priority is income to their corporation and dividends to the stockholders. You know, that's the way the devil always operates. He offers you something that is for your good and to his benefit. Do you get that? Now let's get really mean. Turn on TBN. Trinity Broadcasting. On comes the preacher. If you want God to bless you, send an offering to our ministry. Let me tell you, it's echoing the words Command that these stones be made bread. Provide something for yourself. And it's going to overlap along here as we go through. But the whole idea here is seek ye. What's the word? What's the word? If it's first, is there anything else gets in there? Not like my son Stephen. He said, Stephen, I want this done. Yes, Dad, I'm doing it. Right after this and this and this and this and this. He said, no, son. When, when your dad tells you something, it's priority one. But, but Dad. No, 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 no. no but, 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 but Dads, just do it. If we're going to escape the perversion that the devil wants to plant in your heart and mind in this issue of giving. You got to get me first out of the equation. And by the way, God doesn't say I had one person say, how, how, how do you know what to give? I, I guess I just ought to take my whole paycheck and sign it over to the church. No, that's what Jim Jones said. If you remember who he was. 280 some people murdered because of his cultic activity in Guyana. One of the greatest catastrophes in American history. But that... That's always the sign of a cultist. When they start saying, give me control of everything. 
Jesus says, listen, you sign everything over to me as Christ. Now, you can't write out a check payable to Jesus Christ. I know a church upstate New York, I don't know them personally, I just heard the story, that they deeded their property to Jesus. When they bought the building, their property, wherever it was, they put Jesus Christ on the name of the deed and filed it to the county clerk. They really thought they were being quite spiritual and biblical until they tried to sell the property a few years later. And the judge came back on them and said, Now, just a moment. Are you going to try to tell me that you are the physical representative of Jesus Christ on earth? And they said, uh, well, um, uh, uh," he said, I don't think you can sell the property unless you can get a real signature on the deed by the man who owns it. They were in quite a bit of trouble. As one person said, they were just a little too smart by half, right? Listen. When we're talking about priority, it's seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom is the area in which the king has authority. That's the simplest definition of the word kingdom. The kingdom of God is the area in which God has authority. In the Bible, Luke chapter 10, I believe it is, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, Say not neither here nor there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. How many of you would like Jesus Christ to be the dictator of every decision you make tomorrow? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Because he knows what's best already. Jesus does not have to think about things. You said, but you used the, the word dictator. Uh, yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus was totally authoritarian in your heart and in your soul? If you were completely under his dominion, that every bidding that you did was his? That would be a day without sin now, wouldn't it? It'd be the most wonderful thing that ever happened. There's only one thing standing between you and that. It's called human nature. It's called the spirit of man. Because it always strives against the things that God wants. Now, as we look at this first temptation here, The devil presents an emergency. He presents a solution. Jesus said, that's not the solution that I will choose because my priority is God first. Therefore, I'm going to obey the word of God and I am not going to fall for the trick of being obedient to the things that you say. And when we stop this thing, start this thing, 
we have to understand something. If you're saved today, you're saved because you gave up on you and you believed that God was the only answer. Amen? If you're going to live for God, you're going to have to do the same thing. Why do you think Jesus said, take up your cross daily? Because your life and my life is worse than any horror movie ever produced by Holly Weird and all their freaks. Because no matter how many times you put self to death, guess who you're going to face when you wake up the next morning? You're going to face self again. No matter how far you run away, from the world and people have attempted this they built castles to protect themselves from the world only to find out their greatest enemy was already there themselves priority one God that's how you get saved and by the way if he has your heart guess what else he has for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In this idea of giving, it's got to be God first. This is You hear me say this often, and uh, I wish I didn't have to say it, but the number one selling book in hardback, other than the Bible today, is Mr. Warren's book on the purpose-driven life. And I'm against that book. I'm against everything it says. Because it says that God put natural yearnings within you that he wants to fulfill. I want to challenge you. That's not scripture. If you want to know what religion that comes from, it really comes from Buddhism. The realization of the desires of self. That's what the mantra is all about. It's got to be Jesus alone. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus want you to starve? Does he want you to be a pauper? Does he want you to live a dissolute life? Absolutely not. He wants you to take care of all these things and he will give you everything. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now there's where the promise comes in. And all these things shall be added unto you. When it comes to giving, don't allow the devil to insert something else in there. Don't take the shortcuts. Don't provide for yourself until God takes care of it. Sunday school lesson. That's what Abraham and Sarah did, wasn't it? And they're still reaping the, the sadness and the tragedy of that event. Let's move on to the second. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and sitteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... And here's the word, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Now you know what the devil's doing right here? 
He's quoting Scripture. Does anybody know where that verse is found? Psalm 91. He's quoting the Bible. Just because you hear the Bible being quoted does not mean that it's coming from God. In fact, I'll challenge you, the devil quotes the Scripture as much or more than most Christians do because he wants to use it as a tool of entrapment. You see, the first word, priority, things have got to be done in order. You seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and God will add all these things unto you. God's not going to put you in a situation where you have to sin. And by the way, when we talk about our attitudes toward giving, we let God be first and let Him take care of the needs of our life. The next word I'd like to give you on temptation number two is what the devil was really trying to do. He says, if thou be the Son of God, if you're really who you say you are, prove it. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, well, I just wish I could prove whether the Bible was true or not. I hear that everywhere I go. Uh, could I tell you something? They're not echoing the words of the Scripture with the words of the tempter. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to be misunderstood. People say, well, you just believe in a, in a blind faith that whatever the Bible says is true. I said, well, you're partly right. I believe whatever this book says is true. I believe it's 100% accurate in everything it says. This book is not a book of science. But you know what it says in the first chapter of Nahum? It says the clouds are the dust of his feet. You say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. The clouds are the dust of his feet. Uh, wait, how many, do we have any meteorologists here today? You have to have water vapor. But how many of you knew before you walked in the building here that without dust you can't have a cloud? It is microparticles of dust around which the water molecules gather is what makes a cloud a cloud. How many of you feel smarter since you've been to church, huh? I put that in there just to massage your ego a little bit. No. The Bible is accurate. But I don't believe the Bible because it's proved by any man or any circumstance. How many of you have ever Listen to the radio, talk radio. Have you ever listened to two? You say, I'm going to be one of these open-minded people and I'm going, to get, I'm going to get a couple of views on this subject. So you turn in uh, uh, one guy and then you'll turn in another one and 
you couldn't tell they were talking about the same event if you had it in print. If they were standing right there beside each other looking at uh, the battle that's going on over the debt ceiling in the United States. You turn in one station, those filthy, evil Republicans. You turn in another one, and it's those lying Democrats have been at this. I heard one guy reading the newspaper and said, I just read you the newspaper for 1969. These guys have been lying all these years. And I mean, he goes off. And I mean, just... You know, I got a simple answer for that. Politician, liar. They equal each other. I mean, doesn't that describe the situation? So which talk show host is right? Uh, they're just pointing out the lies of the other side and ignoring the lies of their side. Isn't that right? I mean, that's the pitiful situation we find ourselves in society today. And that's exactly what the devil was trying to do to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God gave a command to the angels. They're supposed to bear you up that, thy, that you couldn't even dash thy foot. You can't even bruise your, your foot touching a stone. Now, wait a minute. Where was Jesus headed, my friend? He was headed to the cross. They were going to do a lot more than bruise his foot on a stone before they were done with him now, weren't they? You see, turn on TBN. I can prove to you the Bible's real. You send in one dollar and God will give you a hundred. They really say that stuff. And if you're foolish enough to believe them, please see me afterwards. We'll set you up for counseling and try to help you through this thing. You say, you really hate TBN. Well, I don't really hate TBN, but my heart is broken over all the poor, unfortunate people who listen to that dribble and believe it. I don't want anyone that walks through the doors of this church to have any excuse to be swallowed up by those lies. You do not give to God to prove that he's God. You don't get saved that way. You don't live for the Lord that way. You don't honor God by giving him something, expecting him to give you something back. You do not need to prove God. The Bible says that unless we come to him and believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, we don't have faith. That's what faith does. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. My friend, you do not prove God. You obey him. That's what Jesus said right here. 
Look at his answer to the devil. Thou shalt not, verse 7, tempt the Lord thy God. How many of you remember Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist? The angel appeared to him on the right side of the altar of incense in the temple in Jerusalem and said, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. And he is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the chosen of God. And what did Zacharias say? How shall I know these things? Now, wait a minute. The angel standing right there. He just told you these things and you don't believe him. And so the angel said, you want proof? I'll give it to you. You're not going to utter another word until the baby is born and named. Nine months, Zacharias. <laughs> Couldn't tell anybody anything. All the community wondered how this older couple had a child and when it came time to name the child, they were going to name him after the father and somehow he had communicated to Elizabeth, probably writing on a tablet, and said his name is to be John and everybody said, that's not his name, let's go talk to Zacharias. And Zacharias wrote, his name is John and then he could talk. How many of you are here for Brother Davison's message on tempting God? Not going to attempt to go back over that ground again. But how many of you have ever prayed, God, I just want to know you're real. Will you please do this one thing, just an answer to my prayer? Don't raise your hand. But I'll guarantee almost every one of us has done that at one time or another. And I want to challenge you, you're echoing the words of the tempter, not the words of the Savior. God does not, nor will he prove that he is God to you. He's already done that. That's what creation is all about. That's what Jesus' death and burial and resurrection is all about. That's what this book called the Bible is all about. It's already been proved, my friend. Your choice is to obey or to disobey. And Jesus said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. One more temptation. Verse 8, And again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I what? He says, I'll give them to you. And if you read Luke's account, he even puts in there, For unto me were these things committed. The devil says, I own this place. I'm the prince and power of the air. It belongs to me. And I'll give it to you if you'll just worship me. Could I challenge you that the number one thing the devil desires is worship? He, have you ever heard anybody say, well, give the devil his due? 
that's a cliche that many people use. That's all he wants. He just wants some acknowledgement of how powerful he is. He wants somebody out there to say that he is good. Has the devil ever done any good thing? Absolutely not, because even when he does something that looks good, it's bad. It's always bad. That's why he was trying to get Jesus to prove something. Jesus answers him in verse 10, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The third perversion, we don't give to ourselves first, we give to God first. The priority is God, not me. Amen? I don't give to God to prove that He is God. I give to God because He is God. And the last one and the most offensive of all is I don't give to God to get something back. I give to God because He is God. It's not let's make a deal. It's not God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. God does not need your help. Do you know, when it talks in the Old Testament about the offering and the tithes and all of those things that went on, the word give is not used. It's the word bring. Bring your tithes is what the Bible says. The only place in the Bible where it talks about giving and tithe in the same verse is it talks about in the book of Leviticus taking one-tenth of the tithe and giving it to Aaron the priest as a heave offering unto the Lord. That's the only place in your Bible where those two words give and tithe are used in the same place. You see, God doesn't need your giving so he can get his work done. That's why we only take one offering a week at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Giving is a form of worship. And we want to worship God God's way. I, I want to commend you. We were able to give Brother Davison a very good love offering. And he was... Brother, Brother Montoro, that's too much. I said, no, it's not. I said, our people give. And you know what? We didn't take up one special offering to do it. Our people tithe. And there were some people that gave something extra, and, and that really put the icing on the cake and made it look very nice, and it was, it was a blessing. We have the Max coming this week. They're going to be back tonight. They were with us Thursday night. You know what? We're going to do our best to take care of the Max. How many of you ladies enjoyed Becky's lesson Friday night? We're going to try to give something. Well, not try. I've already printed the check and Brother John signed it. Uh, we're going to give Becky something as well. Just to be a blessing to those who have been a blessing to us. 
to encourage them. The Macs have been serving 16 years in very difficult circumstances. How many missionaries have quit in those 16 years? How many of our missionaries we've been supporting have quit in the last year? It's crazy. We want to encourage those who want to serve. Amen? But we don't give, we don't give to get back. We don't give so that we can wave a little banner and says, open door, showed, open door, Bible Baptist Church showed up and gave. But let me tell you, when we go to the home missions conference, Brother Sam was talking about this, our church gives because we were given too. That's how we came into existence, amen? You see, Paul was in a situation in 2 Corinthians, and I want to turn to this verse because it's somewhat well-known, but not as well as the other verses that, we've quote, that I've quoted to you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's in a situation here and he explains that he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, that his life was in great physical discomfort. And many people have tried to figure out what this is, but I believe God purposely omits the details because he wants us to learn from what went on in the life of the Apostle Paul. And one thing that may have been... The Apostle Paul's problem may not have bothered you at all, but there is something that really gets down to all of us. Amen? And sometimes we think that if God was really nice to me, he would take care of this situation. Well, here's the answer. Verse 9, and he said, God said unto me, unto the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I don't give to get. I give to God because he is God. You know what? That's how I got saved. That's how I want to live for God every day. That's how our church must worship God if we're going to worship God in a way that will be received and appreciated by God. The priority is God first. Seek ye first His kingdom, His righteousness. God has always given us our church, what we needed to serve Him. I can tell you in my personal life, God has always provided what we needed to serve Him. But that happens only when He is number one. Don't tempt God. Don't try to get Him to prove to you what he's already proved in this book, in creation, and in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? And do not be 
allow yourself to ever be lured into the temptation of giving something to God so you can get something back. You know what Paul said of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? He said, And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You know, that's what happens when we get the right spirit of giving in our hearts. Is we give ourselves first to the Lord. And then Paul said, and unto us. What was he talking about? Was Paul saying, I'm some charismatic leader, you give yourself to me and I'll tell you how everything to do? No. What was Paul in Corinth doing, my friend? Uh, starting a church. What was he doing when he left Corinth and went to Ephesus? Uh, he was starting a church. That's how you serve God, is through His church. Amen? When you give to God God's way, God will take care of you. When you give your soul to God without strings, He'll save it and save it eternally. You want peace and happiness and the joy that life can offer? Let me tell you, you seek His kingdom and His righteousness and it will work. You want to have a good marriage? Uh, give yourself to God first. Stop trying to prove things. I don't need to prove that God is right. But if I'll obey His word and live the way He says, my life proves that He is right. Amen? You see, the devil always tries to do things backwards. If I give to God, do I get? Hey, I gave him a sin-sick soul that was on its way to hell and he gave me eternal life. Who was a beneficiary in that transaction? It wasn't God, it was me. Amen? When I was 16 years old, I gave him my life to be a preacher. I wanted to be an officer in the United States Marine Corps. You know what? Both I and the Marine Corps came out ahead on that one. Amen? Because I could not do in my own effort what I can do when God is directing. Amen? I don't give to get. I give because I love him who gave all for me. And you know what? We haven't attached one dollar sign to the whole thing today. And there's no intention because the Bible says as every man purposeth in his heart. But if you'll surrender that heart to God, God will give you the right purpose. Amen? He'll give you the direction that you need. But if you don't give your soul to God first, the rest of it doesn't matter. Years ago, I had a fellow show up. 
He said, um, I'd like to give something to the church. And I said, oh, okay. He said, no, you don't understand. I want to give something very substantial. I said, okay. He said, the only thing I want you to do is help me find a wife. I said, get out of here. Did you really say? Yeah, I did. I said, that's not what church is about. You don't give to God to get. By the way, you're not worthy for anybody to look at you if that's what your attitude is. Because you'll abuse and use them the same way you're trying to abuse and use our church. I said, you want to come church and worship God? I said, you're welcome here. I said, any other purpose? I said, there's the door. And I'll help you if you need it. Because we're here to worship God. Giving is part of our worship. Amen? But it's got to be His way, not yours. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us to look at your word and understand the things that are spoken of here. And Lord, I pray that the strangeness of the message and the passage would not interfere or confuse us, but Lord, that we would be able to clearly see these things that the devil was trying to do when he tempted you and still trying to do in our hearts and lives today. Lord, I pray that no one here would be trying to straighten themselves out before they give themselves to you. Lord, I pray that there would not be one here that's trying to prove that you're God, but rather they would obey you as God. And Lord, I shudder to think that someone could sit in a church service like this whose only purpose is to put a little bit in so they could get a lot out. Lord, I'm thankful that you're a holy God and will not allow yourself to be taken advantage of as such. But Lord, there is no way that we could repay you for what you give to us. We ask that you would help us in our attitudes of worship and thank you, Lord, that our church is a giving church. We ask that we would not be content that we would let you do your work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, that the giving of ourselves in spirit and in truth to you would result in our ability to support more missionaries and to give to others. We ask that we would worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, come and lead us in the hymn of invitation.